0: The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information,
1: please visit downtownchurch.com. Our scripture this morning comes from Psalm 105. O give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name, let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength, seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever, the word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham, his sworn promise to Isaac, which he confirmed to Jacob as a statute, to Israel as an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I will give the land of Canaan as your portion for an inheritance. When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account, saying, Touch not my anointed ones, do my prophets no harm. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Good morning, downtown church. It is really good to be here. We have been traveling a lot this summer. And uh, I've really missed being here. It's uh, really good to be back. And um, this morning, the sermon that we're gonna look at, Psalm 105, looks at the history of God's people. And when I was given the opportunity to preach, I was asked, what Psalm do you wanna preach on? And I specifically picked this one because it looks at the history of God's people and how when you look at how God began his plan, his mission, he began with immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers, slaves. That's the group of people he began with. And as Richard had already mentioned, this is my work. I, with studies that I'm doing in school, with my work with immigrants from mostly from West Africa, this is sort of the air I breathe. This was a, a passage of great importance to me. And since the time when I selected the passage, there has just been so many events that have made it clear to me how important it is For God's people to know what God's Word tells us about this subject of immigration and how we should think about it. I think about things that have come, rhetoric that has come from our president. I think about the the shootings yesterday, where at least early information makes it seem like the one in El Paso was targeted towards uh, Hispanic immigrants. And so this morning, I I want us to look at this, and I, I think I just woke up this morning realizing how heavy this topic is. And even just exchanging some text messages with a really close friend of mine this morning who has immigrated to the United States and is struggling with a lot of fear and a lot of anger right now. And it has really hit me how important it is for us to think about this topic. And so let me begin with a word of prayer uh, before we dive into this passage. Father, I want to pray that you will guide us this morning Will you please speak through me? Will you uh, give me the words that, uh, that you want to share? And will you shape all of us this morning as we look into your word? I lift this up to you in your son's name and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. So when I began thinking about this passage, one of the, the comments that came from a conversation a few months ago that struck me was having a conversation with someone. He 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 was struggling. He had been involved in church for most of his life, going to church since he was little, and he struggled with how the church has often uh, not responded well when it has had power. It has often abused power, and he made the comment, "It's been like this from the beginning, all the way back to Constantine." And I kindly pointed out, "Well, Constantine." that's like 300 years after the resurrection of Jesus. You just skipped three centuries where God's people were not in any position of power. They were marginalized. And and it struck me that I think for a lot of us, we don't think about that. We don't remember our roots In America, especially, I think where we often love this idea that anything I've accomplished, there's nothing in the past that contributed to it. It's all my hard work. We very easily forget the past, and we need to remember it. And when we look at our passage this morning, it's taking us back to the past. And one of the points that I want to emphasize this morning is that God has been faithful to a sojourner people he began with a sojourner people, a people who did not have a land. And I want us to look how this passage starts out. The very first verse talks about, "'Oh, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, "'make known his deeds among the peoples.'" Right off the bat, we see the context that this Psalm is about wanting to call God's people to worship, not just having God's people to worship, but inviting peoples from all over the world, all peoples to come and to worship our God. And we keep going, he talks about sing to him, sing praises to him, tell of his wondrous works. Remember the wondrous works that he has done. Verse six, oh offspring of of Abraham his servant, children of Jacob his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth, He remembers his covenant forever. The word that he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham. First thing to remember when we think about our history is what is this covenant he's talking about? This covenant he made with Abraham. When we go back to Genesis 12, this is God beginning his mission. We've seen how sin has come in in Genesis three and corrupted God's, God's good creation. We see the impact of sin continuing and spiraling and getting worse. And in chapter 12, God chooses Abraham and says, I will bless you. And through your descendants, I will bless not just you, but all the peoples of the earth. From the beginning, there was this desire for God to bless all the peoples of the earth. And I want you to think about If you had something where there was an idea or something that you wanted to go global, who would you begin with? Would you begin with a prominent politician who has lots of influence and power? Would you begin... With a celebrity that everybody knows has a lot of influence? Would you begin with a rich business person who has lots of, uh, of money, uh, able to make a huge difference quickly? Who would you begin with? Look at who God begins with. He begins with Abraham, who is an immigrant. And, w- and this is really emphasized in this passage. If we look at verse 12 and 13... When they were few in number, of little account, and sojourners in it, wandering from nation to nation, from one kingdom to another people. When you think about the history in Genesis, for I think most of my life, I thought about it chronologically. Like, okay, we begin with Abraham. And then we go next in time, we go to, we go to Isaac, and then we go to, to, uh, to Jacob, and then to Joseph, and we just keep going down, and I'm thinking about the, the, the linear progression of events. Read the book of Genesis through the lens of migration, and you will see how much they are moving around. Now, think about this. Abraham, his parents migrated. They were immigrants, so now God calls Abraham and says, I want you to move. You go somewhere else where you don't know the land. You don't know the people. And so Abraham does, and he gets this amazing promise about how God's going to bless the whole world, and here he is sitting as an immigrant in a new, in a new place, and he's got to be wondering, okay, how, how are we going to get off to this? How is this going to go? And the, one of the first events we read about is Abraham looking around, and there's a famine. All right, God, how are you going to bless all the peoples of the earth through me? I, I'm looking around me, and I don't know how I'm going to feed me. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know how my wife is going to eat. We see Abraham going to another country. And we see him fearing his life, wondering, what are they going to do to me in this place? That is the experience of Abraham. We look at Isaac. Isaac goes through the same thing. Isaac goes through the experience of wondering, where am I going to eat? Where does my next meal come from? He also goes to Egypt. He is wondering, how, how am I going to, to take care of, of myself? What, where, am I, where is my next meal coming from? And this is the group that God is going to bless all peoples of the earth through. We continue We, uh, I think of one of the passages when we look at Abraham, for the longest time, I wonder why is this passage in the Bible? We, whenever Sarah dies, there's this whole chapter of Abraham's grieving, and you would think the death of a spouse is hard enough as it is, but now he's having to talk to a foreign king and negotiate and kind of figure out, okay, what's a fair price for a place where I can bury my wife? It's emphasizing throughout, passage after passage, these are immigrants. These are people that don't have a land. They don't know what, where, where they're going to go next. It continues, and it gets even worse with Joseph. Joseph and his brothers sell him into slavery, and so Joseph is someone, we're wondering, is he going to be someone who can really impact the whole world? He is someone of incredible character, incredible gifting, everything he does. He's successful at it. And yet, what is his experience? Someone makes a false accusation against him, and this foreign slave in this country, does anybody believe him? No, of course not. That's not his experience. They don't believe him. They believe someone else. You go even even more past Joseph. And our passage, it talks about later on in the chapter about how God's people were in slavery in Egypt. Passage after passage, when you look through this whole psalm, it's recounting these experiences. And I keep coming back to the idea of, this is the group of people that God chose to bless all peoples of the earth through. Wow. Wow. And when, when I read this, I, one of the thoughts that came to my mind, we often talk about God's faithfulness through trying times. And I remember our, uh, Richard alluded to the fact we lived in, in uh, Senegal for five years. Our first year there, we moved to Senegal. I remember having so many goals and ambitions. Okay, We already learned French. Now we're going to learn Wolof. We're going to learn it in a year. We're going to be really plugged into the life of the church. We're going to know all our neighbors. We're going to have them over all the time. And then life just hit. It was hot. We did not have air conditioning. Hillary was pregnant. She gave birth to our son the first year. The power was going off all the time. I wish that I could tell you that one of our favorite songs that year was Amazing Grace or Be Thou My Vision. It was not. One of our favorite songs was Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive. (laughs) All of these ambitions, let's put those to the side. Can we feed everybody today? Okay, three meals, everybody ate. It's 6.30, I think the kids can go to bed now. I think it's time. They can go to sleep, and, and then we can go to sleep. I, I was thinking, God, will you be faithful just to help us survive? Just to help us get through? God is so good. He does more than that, though. When we look at this passage, we might think, wow, all of those challenges, the way that they, God's people were continually marginalized, if they can just survive— and yet, look at the passage. Verse 14, he allowed no one to oppress them. He rebuked kings on their account. We, th- we might think if I have something that I want to go global, I'm going to start with the kings and the, que- and the queens. And God's saying, I'm going to pick somebody else. And through them, I'm going to rebuke the kings and the queens. God is taking the people who are marginalized, and he is speaking to those who are in positions of authority and power. We see with Joseph, This uh, we continue down. It, it talks about him uh, being made Lord of his house and ruler of all possessions in verse 21. We continue down with, with verse 38. After God's people had been in slavery, what does it say? Egypt was glad when they departed, for dread of him had fallen upon it. They They were brought to their knees by God. This group of people that had been marginalized, God did not just help them to survive, but they demonstrated God's power. And that's who God worked through. One of the major points I want us to to realize is that God doesn't just care for the marginalized, He works through them. And frequently, that's where He starts. He works through people who are not in positions of power. And that's what we see right here. And I, I realize right now, you might be in a situation where Hillary and I were our first year in Senegal, where you're just thinking, I will survive right as long as i know how to live I, I won't sing it but but we're just if i can just make it for, forget this let's change the world stuff i just want to make it and what i want you to hear from our passage this morning is that god is faithful he can do so much more than that he can do so much more than just surviving and making it god began this way Why also? We see that God works through a marginalized people, but we also know that Israel was not always sojourners. There was a time when they weren't in the land. So God's people are not eternally marginalized in every situation. So how does this impact their life? When we look at some other passages, we see that God is shaping a sojourner identity There's a passage in Deuteronomy 26 where God, it's talking about when Israel is in the land and they have a harvest, they have their crop, and they're bringing the first fruits of it. They're offering it to God. Listen to this. You shall, after they do that, you shall make your response before the Lord your God, a wandering Aramean was my father. Whenever you get your paycheck, you're to remember who your ancestors were. Remember, my father was a wandering man. Why? We keep going down. You look in verse 12. When you have finished paying all the tithe of your produce in your third year, which is the year of tithing, give it to the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your towns and be filled. God is saying, I brought you into this land but it is not your personal possession. You don't own it and you don't live like it. You need to remember where God brought you from. Look also, Deuteronomy 10. This is a passage that's kind of summarizing the law. Saying, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And it's this summary passage kind of summing up all of of what the law is about, and in there, It says, love the sojourner. Why? Because you were sojourners in Egypt. God, he knew that his people would not always be marginalized. And he wanted them to know, if you are marginalized, I want you to know, I still work through you. I work through marginalized people. If you are not, if you are in a position where you do have influence, you you do have the ability to shape things, you better remember what it was like. You better remember, what would it be like if every time we got a paycheck, we quoted this verse, our father was a wandering air man. I wonder how that would shape us if every time we we gave the first fruits, we, we emphasized that, that gosh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, God's people in Exodus, we're talking about immigrants, refugees, asylum seekers, slaves. This is This is the history of God's people. This is who God began with. God has given his people a sojourner identity. And the second point I want to bring up is that this sojourner identity invites people to worship God. Here, I'm going back to where I began. And in many ways, I'm emphasizing this point because it it is common today to talk about care for the marginalized, care for marginalized communities. I'm not saying it's common that we always do it, but we definitely love to talk about it. And yet there is something that the Christian faith offers that is sorely missing in a lot of the discussion. We have resources in God's word that we need to bring to this discussion. Whenever we go out into the world, a lot of what we hear is what I call Burger King spirituality. The slogan of Burger King for years was, have it your way. We look at religion that way. Have it your way. I googled this, I didn't even realize this. In 2014, they changed their slogan to be your way. And when they were asked why, they said, because we want to remind people that they can and should live how they want anytime. People should live how they want anytime. Do whatever you want. You decide what's best for you. So a lot of people are interested in getting people out of marginalized situations, but they're not really calling people to something. This passage is saying, call people out of of oppression, out of persecution. Call them to this community that loves God, that remembers that God is faithful, not just in an abstract sense, but can point to specific moments when God was faithful. That's the God that we worship, and that's who we're calling people to. We so easily talk today about, uh, you get to choose. You choose your way. And we talk about it as if it's a great thing. It is not a great thing. I I remember a couple years, about two years ago, we wanted to put a shed in our backyard. So we go to Home Depot. I was looking for the cheapest sheds that they sold. And so one of the cheap ones that they sold, it didn't come with a floor, and my first question is, where, where I want to put it in the backyard is sloped. So, how do I do that? And the guy at the store kept saying, listen, you can do it any way you want. It's your choice. This is great. You can do it any way you want. And I'm thinking, who has a preferred method for shed foundations in their backyard on a sloped part? Like, I, this is not good news to me. When it comes to doing stuff around the house, I am horrible. Uh, Right, if the doctor comes to you and says, you need surgery and I got good news, we can do it your way. (laughs) Say no. Do not say, oh yeah, you know, I read something on uh, Wikipedia the other day. (laughs) Have it your way is great news if you are an expert. If you are not, that's horrible news. And God's word tells us over and over and over again, that when we choose for ourselves, we mess it up. And I don't think I need to spend a whole lot of time on this point because I think you know. If we each look at our own lives, we know that we, we make horrible decisions. If, if I am going to define what is right, then, man, this is, this is gonna be rough. And when it comes to this sojourner identity, A key part of it is we're not telling people, have it your way, be your way. We're saying, come and be a part of God's worshiping community. Join this community. This is who we are. And we need to not be uh, wondered, well, well, what, uh, do I, I, am I being offensive in this? This is part of who we are. I remember being struck by how, Privatized and individualized, we approach religion in America. I remember when we lived in Senegal, I mentioned we wanted to learn Wolof. That was one of the main languages spoken in Senegal. Early on, I asked somebody, how do you say thank you in Wolof? Jeff. That's how you say thank you in Wolof. So somebody would give me something, I'd say, Jeff. But when I would give somebody else something, somebody else something they wouldn't say, Jeff. They would usually say, Sante Yalabubar. Alhamdulillah, And I started asking, well, what does that mean? So I said, well, that means God is good. That means praise be to God. And it just struck me, I have been drinking this idea my whole life of religion as something, that's great that you've got that. I'm, I'm going to ask that you just keep it to yourself. And here I go to another country where that's not the norm. God is not something we keep private, this notion of, well, we love God with our actions, but we don't talk about it. What is that? This passage is saying we are to love God, to call people, to praise him in our words and our actions. The sojourner identity invites people to worship God. And for the last point, I want us to to begin thinking about how does this impact the life of the church today? So we've already looked at and seen in history how the sojourner identity was to shape God's people. How God began with a group of people who didn't have a land. And he did amazing things through them. And he did it so that if they did find themselves in the land, they would remember that. And they would remember marginalized communities in that way. That was then, what does it look like a for us today. Now the truth is we can go in so many different directions about this. I, I'm, I'm loving that tonight we're doing this thing for educators. This is a huge need in our country, recognizing that the way that education educational inequality exists and, and we should do something. this sojourner identity should push us to do something about that. And I am so thankful that when we pray I think we did it last year too. There's a lot of teachers up here. We have a lot of people in this church that have already embraced this sojourner identity. Praise God for that. There are so many different ways we can look at this. I want to focus on one and thinking about the issue of immigration. How does the sojourner identity shape God's people and how we think about immigration today? And two points one, we love the immigrant, and I'll, I'll begin with there. Probably one of the first places where we can start in this is just right now, I'm thinking about the events that have been happening in our country, the rhetoric about immigrants. We need to emphasize that we do not stand by that. And in fact, I need to be more specific. The rhetoric is not about against immigrants. It's against non-white immigrants, that, that is what it is. People that immigrate from Europe are, are not getting the same rhetoric that non-white immigrants are getting. And we need to call that out and say, this is not part of who we are. We do not stand by that, we do not support that. And for, for immigrants that we know, or immigrants who, who have come to this country, who are part of our body, we, do not want to be associated with rhetoric like that. This is contrary to God's word. We do not stand by that. We do not want to ignore the situation of the immigrant. God calls us to love the immigrant. Whenever we think about what uh, refugee policy, all of these questions, this should guide our thinking. And I realize immigration policy is really complicated. In the last couple of years, I've been trying to do some more reading into it. And every time I read another book, I realize that the policy aspects do get really complicated. But there's a lot of it that isn't complicated. The idea of viewing other people as valuable in God's eyes, that's not complicated. That's really simple. And we know what God's word calls us to do. And so we are to love the immigrant. We are to care for the immigrant. Another point, though, that I think is important, and I'm going to use, if you've been at at downtown church for a while, you've probably heard Michael Rhodes' illustration of the potluck, about how in the church, we don't have this illustration of of people who have resources giving to people who don't have resources. It's more like a potluck. Everybody's bringing something. We have to be careful when we think about immigration. This is true in the country, but... I really want to focus in on the church. While we are commanded to love the immigrant, we need to realize not just that, yes, God, if, if you have been settled in the United States of America, you're not an immigrant. Yes, I, I, I realize God's calling us to love the immigrant, but God also wants to open our eyes and realize that God is likely using them to change us. God is working through the immigrant. God has, he has done this throughout history. This should not surprise us. We should know this to be the truth. And there was an article that was written, I believe it was about 15 years ago, by Stephen Warner. He, he wrote in response, there was a scholar who wrote a book who looked at immigration to the United States and, and saw all these new mosques and Buddhist temples and wrote this article that immigrants were making America less Christian. And Stephen Warner, he, not that there's a a problem with non-Christian immigration. As my work, I work with a lot of Muslims. I love that people from all faiths are coming to America. But what was interesting was a lot of people missed the fact that most immigrants who come to America were Christian. The majority were Christian. And one of the points that he was making was that this is an opportunity for the church in America. He said majority of, of immigrants coming to America are Christian. And so immigrants coming here does not signify that America is becoming less Christian. It means American Christianity is becoming less European. America is not becoming less Christian. American Christianity is becoming less European. And this is a blessing. I, I, we know that there, there is a lot of a benefit that has come from theologians and pastors and thinkers from Europe. I certainly don't wanna say that there's nothing of value, but there's also been a lot of baggage. And when we look at Christians coming to the church in America from all over the world, this is an amazing opportunity for us to benefit, for us to grow. One example, a couple months ago, I was uh, visiting a, an immigrant church and one of the things that stood out to me was, as I was, uh, this actually was for a class assignment. I needed to visit an immigrant church, write a paper. So I was interviewing people at the church, and, and I remember having a, a conversation with a lot of the younger, younger people in the church. And so the younger people, they're, they're all individuals who grew up in America, right? They, when you ask, where are you from, their answer is Chicago, Right? They're, they're, that, this is where they grew up. Their first language is English. So that, that was part of who they are. But you had the original, the older generation, they moved over, and a lot of them still didn't speak English very well. And it was interesting to me to look at the younger generation and to see how, for them, they, they struggled with the older generation on some issues. You could tell that there was a little bit of tension, but I also was astounded at how much discussion they gave to this topic of how do we honor our elders? How do we honor the older generation? And it struck me because when I think of my experience in a lot of other churches, we're not even having that conversation. And they were doing it in a way where you had so many people who did not grow up speaking, uh, speaking Hmong, but they were learning it. Why? Because they wanted to honor their parents' generation, and they wanted to show them respect. And to me, that was it was just so interesting because it was an example of not someone from a different place helping me see my issues differently, but them helping me see, man, I wasn't even aware that I had this problem, that I hadn't even thought very deeply about how do we honor the older generation. There is so much to offer the church in America about that, where we love everything that's new and recent that's what we're infatuated with and i'm thinking wow these conversations are really enriching enriching and deepening my thinking we have an opportunity right now of with the sojourner identity we love the sojourner among us and we realize that god is using the sojourners right now in america there is a chance for the church to be challenged to be revitalized if we can listen to our brothers and sisters that God is sovereignly bringing to us from all over the world. This week, what I would encourage you to do is this afternoon, read through this Psalm, read through Psalm 105 and find one verse that stands out to you, that reminds you of the sojourner identity of God's people and pray on that and reflect on that and reflect on how that calls you to live differently, whether you're in a situation where you feel like you have no influence and no power, or whether you're in a situation where God has given you influence and God has given you power, how is that going to shape you? And as always, we turn our eyes to Christ. When we think about, can God work through, through someone who is marginalized? What, what better example in the history of the world, has ever been given than Jesus Christ, our Savior, who had all the power, who had all the influence, and he gave it up. He gave it up, and he came to this earth, and he became a human, and he endured being pushed to the side. He endured false accusations, being... Someone that uh, people were just annoyed. Will you just shut up and go away? Jesus experienced all that. And yet he accomplished the greatest victory that has ever been won. We should celebrate that and remember and keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's remember the history of God's people and fix our eyes on Jesus. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness to a sojourner people. Father, will you be faithful to us as you have already promised? And will you open our eyes to see where you have placed us to use the influence that we have? Will you open our eyes to that and change us? We lift this up to you in your son's name. Amen.